For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. 85% of wildfires are sparked by humans, and a new study published in the Wildlife Society Bulletin points to yet another way we've been lighting nature on fire. According to the study, 44 wildfires were lit in the contiguous United States between 2014 and 2018 by, quote, avian electrocutions. Those are birds that are on fire. Flom de bird, if you will. Harry? Your bird, he just caught fire. Oh, and about time too. These occur when a bird simultaneously contacts an energized power wire and a path to the ground such as a grounded piece of equipment like a transformer. Birds can also get electrocuted when they simultaneously contact two energized wires at the same time. Raptor species, like eagles and vultures, are particularly affected, and most of the fires occurred in California, an ecoregion known as Mediterranean California, which encompasses about half the state along the coastline. Ten of the 44 fires sparked by avian electrocutions were in the Mediterranean California region. Now, we don't know why California barbecues so many birds, but we do know California, so it's safe to assume birds or possibly power poles may be illegal in the near future. This week, we've got crime, legislation, ponies, and EHD. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as you know, is brought to you by Steel Power Equipment. Steel makers of the world's finest chainsaws. I want to give a quick shout out to all the athletes I met at this year's Steel Power Sports Championships who happen to be hunters too. It's about time to put down the saws and axes and pick up the bows and rifles. And trust me when I say you want these folks in your wilderness hunting camp, 
they can stack up the wood real fast. As you know, hunting season is here. Hopefully you're flinging arrows. I know I have been. I've been running old Snorticus every day in the river. Her uh, land work is in need of more repetition, but it's just too darn hot. I've managed to get three rounds of sporting clays in so far. By the time you hear this, it'll be four. Old Casey Hawks, who's your head of customer service, and I have a, you know, clay pigeon date. First Light is doing some really incredible work on the clothing front. They just opened a new storefront in Haley, Idaho. You can see everything there firsthand if you happen to come through, including the brand new waterfowl line, and everything else is brand new. One thing you may not know is, I was the first employee at First Light. Things were really scrappy back then. We worked really hard, made some great stuff, but I will say that what FL is creating right now, that's an abbreviation for First Light, try to keep up, is just at a much higher level. It's not even comparable to what we were doing 10 years ago. It's humbling and really cool to see. And of course, I'm looking forward to thrashing the living hell out of all of that gear this season, providing every opportunity for product failure, old snort and I can. I hope you are doing the same, but I know we'll all be surprised at the abuse the gear can absorb and withstand. Good luck, have fun, be safe out there, and be courteous and kind. Say hello. You may just bump into me, and you don't want to run into the wrong side of the week in review. Moving on to the crime desk. Authorities are asking for the public's help in identifying a man who shot a bear hunter in the Washington Blue Mountains near Walla Walla, Washington. The city's so nice, they named it twice. According to local media, the hunter was looking for a bear he had shot while his partner stayed on the mountainside to watch his progress. A shot rang out, and the hunter on the mountain saw his buddy fall to the ground and roll down the hill. He rushed across the canyon and saw another man running away through a farm field. He also said he heard voices from at least two hunters as he made his way to his friend. The hunter who had been shot was bleeding profusely, but he made it to the hospital where he is recovering. Detectives are obtaining search warrants for vehicles that were seen in the area, but if you have any info into this case, give the Walla Walla Sheriff's Office a call at 509-527-3265. The incident occurred in Nightingale Canyon, about five miles east of Walla Walla. Even if your state does not require it, I personally prefer to pack a minimum of a blaze orange beanie, toque, or ball cap for when my hunt is over. It also helps for signaling other people, not just not getting shot. Anyway, a couple in the Florida Keys was arrested recently for attacking a man they said was snorkeling too close to their dock. We've covered how touchy dock owners can be about anglers getting too close to their private kingdoms in Florida. For this couple, Snorkeling was a bridge too far. They argued with the snorkeler for a few minutes before they went after him. 65-year-old Paulo de Oliveira was charged with aggravated battery after he hit the swimmer with, quote, some kind of pole, while 61-year-old Katie de Oliveira was charged with battery for hitting him with a fishing pole. The man was reportedly bleeding profusely from his head when he was pulled out of the water by his family in a nearby boat. I gotta tell you, this is next-level crazy. There is nothing more docile and non-threatening than somebody snorkeling. Even to most fish. Trust me on that one. The Oliveras weren't the only Florida couple who found themselves in hot water for wildlife-related crimes. 
Two Miami men were arrested in July after officers found an endangered key deer in their car during a recent traffic stop. Key deer are the smallest existing North American deer species, and they are only found in the lower Florida Keys. The men claimed they had hit the deer and were taking it to a vet in Miami, but when Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission officers responded to the scene, they pointed out that the area isn't even key deer habitat, the men were arrested, and could face felony charges, and probably not tiny ones. Next up, I know it can be tempting to take the occasional shot at neighborhood food, but two recent stories from New Mexico and British Columbia should help alleviate that temptation. In New Mexico, a Roswell man was arrested recently after he admitted to sheriff's deputies that he was hunting doves without a license in a residential neighborhood. He claimed he didn't know the hunting regs because he was from another planet and the feds already confiscated his spaceship. Move, children! Hominos! I'm just kidding, that's a Roswell joke. 41-year-old Thomas Vick is from this solar system, as far as we know, but that didn't save him from being charged with negligent use of a deadly weapon and hunting small game without a license. Residents told deputies they saw him fire four shots into the air with his shotgun. No word on whether he hit anything. In British Columbia, another enterprising urban hunter was fined $7,000 and banned from hunting for six years after admitting to shooting a mule deer in a residential neighborhood. Thanks to listener Sean Arth for sending this one in. Andre Comieu pled guilty to one count of hunting out of season and one count of something called hunting without consideration, which is just about the most Canadian-sounding crime I can think of. I will admit that I hunt all of the time without considering, at a minimum, what PETA thinks, for instance. Comieu admitted to shooting the deer with a crossbow in a neighborhood in the southern BC town of Kelowna. He shot the deer and tried to track it through his neighbor's yards before leaving it to die in someone's flower garden. The optics, let alone the fact that he left the deer, are definitely not good. It's as if Comieu was not hunting while considering us hunters. Who cares about his neighbors? Moving up the coast to Alaska, an author and prolific bow hunter was fined $15,000 and had his hunting license revoked for three years for violating the state's musk ox hunting rules. 56-year-old Paul Atkins was originally hit with 12 charges for keeping trophies from a subsistence harvest and claiming residency status in both Alaska and Oklahoma simultaneously. Subsistence hunting permits for muskox are hard to come by, but the state grants them to folks who prove that they need to harvest the meat for food. In keeping with the purpose of the permits, successful hunters must remove the horns within two inches of the eye level prior to leaving the kill site. This is to discourage hunters from trying to get subsistence permits just to bag a trophy. Atkins may have eaten all the meat, but he failed to remove the horns. He was forced to turn over 20 taxidermied muskox as part of his punishment. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, 
But here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the legislative desk. In New Jersey, the mayor of a coastal town called Sea Isle City announced a ban on shark fishing from the beach, and violators could be fined up to $1,250 for shark fishing. It's unclear how city officials plan to enforce this new ban. After all, shark fishing looks a heck of a lot like fishing for other species, and anglers can't control what bites their hooks. Anglers can also just move along the beach to another municipality if they don't want to worry about being harassed for catching a shark. However, the city did make a few concrete changes to their fishing regs, chumming, the use of unmanned drones to drop bait, or having the assistance of any water vessel will now be prohibited. The ban was apparently prompted by several shark catches that went viral on social media. In Kentucky, the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources has proposed reducing the spring turkey bag limit to one bird per hunter per state wildlife management area. As we've covered several times over the last few months, turkey populations are declining all across the country and state wildlife managers are making changes to address this troubling trend. However, while I'm in favor of doing what we need to do to protect the resource, this new proposal in Kentucky doesn't seem equitable. First, it only targets public land hunters, which birds have wings, so you know, They don't know what a fence is. They don't know what property boundaries are. They don't have on X. And at the same time, private land turkey hunters, who may border state WMAs, are still permitted to bag two turkeys under this proposed rule. Did I mention you can call to turkeys and manipulate them to coming into places that they don't want to go? Anyway, 
Public land only accounts for 2% of the state's overall land mass, and public land hunters only account for about 3% of the turkey harvest every year. According to the state chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, this proposal would only reduce next year's turkey harvest by about 216 turkeys, or 0.8% of the total harvest. It seems like Kentucky may be regulating public land hunters, not the turkey population. Big game hunting seasons are kicking off across the country, so now's a good time to check your state's hunting regs to see if anything has changed. And remember, just like in Kentucky, we can only change regulations by showing up, by participating in surveys, and public meetings. In Michigan, whitetail hunters will now be required to report a successful harvest within 72 hours or before transferring possession of the deer. Hunters can report their harvests online at michigan.gov or on the Michigan DNR Hunt Fish mobile app. The DNR believes that this new system, which is similar to what other states have, will increase hunter participation in reporting, provide vital information to biologists in real time, and save the department costs with reduced mailings and hard copy surveys. For folks in the other 49 states, most state fish and game agencies publish documents listing all the significant changes from the previous year. Before heading out into the field, get your hands on that document to make sure you stay on the right side of the law and, you know, we don't end up covering any discretions here at the Week in Review. Moving on to the horse desk. (laughs) It's a mouthful. That's a horse of a different color! Earlier this month, the Bureau of Land Management announced its intentions to scale up roundups of wild horses and burrows from federal rangelands. Once those horse gathers are completed, the BLM will then begin increasing its use of fertility controls to further limit the population, according to E&E News. The agency has rounded up a record 15,040 wild horses and burros since October of last year and permanently removed 13,930. The BLM is rounding up the horses because they say there are too many for federal lands to sustain without causing damage to vegetation, soils, and other resources. The agency capped the population at 26,785 animals. Right now, there are 82,384 wild horses and burros roaming 27 million acres of federal herd management areas in 10 western states. Of course, wild horse advocates aren't happy with government roundups. They believe fertility controls are more humane, more effective, and cheaper, and have the added benefit of keeping the horses, quote, wild and free. Whereas the BLM appears to agree, they say that they plan to cut the horse roundups by more than 50% next year and increase the use of fertility treatments. If you haven't been following this story, you might be wondering where these horses came from and where they go after the BLM herds them into trailers and corrals. The first question is much less controversial than the second. Horses were introduced to the Americas in the 1500s by Spanish explorers. Some of them escaped and became the foundation for the wild horses that still roam the western U.S., even though the horses aren't a native species. Just like the Szechuan ringneck pheasant, they've been a symbol for a long time, but they do not belong here, and the BLM is obligated to manage the population in a sustainable way. However, with no natural predators, the herds are growing by 15-20% to each year, according to the BLM. This has forced the agency to remove some animals if it looks like one of the herds is threatening the larger ecosystem. The controversy stems from that second question. What do we do with all these horses? 
As of July, the BLM was holding 58,800 wild horses and burros in off-range corrals and holding facilities. Keeping these horses fed and housed cost $77.6 million in fiscal year 2021, which is about 64% of the total wild horse and burrow program budget. That's part of what we pay for in our taxes. The BLM operates an adoption incentive program to place horses in private care, but critics argue that some of these horses end up being sold and turned into, you know, glue or dog food or those things. You Yellowstone fans, not the park, well, probably you folks at the park too, but you Yellowstone fans, you know, the crappy TV show that's being called like uh, the Dallas of this generation. That's right. The Dallas of this generation. For you folks who are fans of that show, that's what you're being associated with. Anyway, as you folks who have moved out here to Montana and bought, you know, 20 acres in the middle of a migration corridor and threw a couple of horses out there that were fun to mess around with at first, but just start getting really super fat and costing you a bunch of ton of money or kind of figuring out on your own, uncared for horses eventually end up at slaughterhouses because they're expensive and they beat the living crap out of the land. Now, wild horse and burrow advocates say about 840 horses have ended up in slaughterhouses here in the United States since 2019. 840. That is absolutely nothing. I'd love to see how many wild horses and burrows get hit on the interstate and highways in comparison to the slaughterhouse numbers. Horse-eating countries are far more numerous than horse-killing countries. Like a lot of our fancy tastes, we leave the killing or, you know, quote, dirty business to a few, but many enjoy the actual spoils. Anyway, China in 2018 killed about 1.6 million horses. Behind them, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Kyrgyzstan, Brazil, Australia, Russia, and, you know, the folks that we like to pick on a lot for horse eating, France, well, you know, they come in at a very paltry 250,000 animals, not exactly leading the charge. It's true that biologists can administer fertility controls with darts, but as with every wildlife management issue, the problem and the solution isn't as simple as activists would have you believe. Some herds are inaccessible and unapproachable except by helicopter. Others need to be taken off the landscape before they starve or die of thirst in droughts or plagues that hit the West every summer. It's a sticky issue with no easy solutions, you know, according to some, but the various stakeholders are talking. The Free Roaming Equids and Ecosystem Sustainability Network is a group of organizations working to sustain healthy horse herds and rangelands. They seek to enhance communication and engage diverse stakeholder groups in meaningful dialogue. They have a summit coming up this October, so, you know, we'll all look forward to that. My horse sense says, uh, more of the same. Moving on to the Wolf Desk. Our good friends over at the Center for Biological Diversity, or CBD, submitted a petition this month to withhold federal conservation funding from Idaho and Montana. They argue that because these states have adopted, quote, anti-wolf legislation, they should be barred from receiving millions of dollars that help conserve thousands of plants and animals. You know the old saying, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. This is kind of like that. The CBD is asking the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to cut off all Pittman-Robertson funds from two huge states because the animal rights groups doesn't like their wolf management policies. Very similar to a tactic some of our desperate-to-be-reelected have done with a proposed firearm legislation, 
CBD is toying with Pittman-Robertson, one of the greatest tools for conservation funding we have in this country. Side note, Montana Representative Matt Rosendale, I'm still waiting on a letter, email, call back. I'm getting a real taste of how customer service works in Maryland. Anyway, here's what CBD legal director Andrea Zaccardi said in a press release, quote, Montana and Idaho have relied on anti-wolf rhetoric to pass aggressive laws permitting the widespread slaughter of wolves with zero basis in ethics or science. These new laws run completely contrary to conservation goals, and they should disqualify both states from receiving conservation funding. I wasn't a big fan of these wolf management bills. I think wildlife management should be left to the biologists in fish and game agencies, not politicians in state legislatures. The policies themselves weren't supported by the state's wildlife biologists, and that's a huge problem. But cutting off all federal conservation funding would hurt wolves just as much as it would hurt every other wild animal in these two states. In 2020, Montana received $23 million in federal grants to conserve habitat and wildlife. Montana's entire budget for that year was about $90 million, meaning federal dollars account for 25% of the annual income. It's the same story in Idaho, where Pittman-Robertson and Dingle-Johnson money represents about 15% of the state's fish and game budget. Moving on to the medical desk. If you're a deer hunter, you're probably familiar with the disease known as epizootic hemorrhagic disease, or EHD. EHD is caused by two virus strains that infect white-tailed deer, mule deer, and reindeer. EHD is transmitted by tiny biting flies, most commonly known as noceums, or gnats and the quick-acting ailment has been the cause of significant mortality events. Until now, there has been no treatment or cure. Frost kills the flies in late fall, which usually ends the seasonal outbreaks. But just this month, the Indiana State Board of Animal Health announced that an experimental vaccine is currently being tested on captive deer herds in the state. Thanks to Wade Peterson for sending this one in. The vaccine is being developed by an outfit called MedGene Labs. And despite having a name that could come straight out of a Marvel comic book. They've been generating data from the vaccine since 2016, and in 2020, they began working with a vet in Missouri to test its efficacy on young deer fawns. They vaccinated 10 fawns, all of which generated an immune response strong enough to kill the virus. The vaccine is still considered experimental, but MedGene Labs is making it available to captive deer herds upon request and approval from the owners. Of course, EHD isn't the real boogeyman in the deer management world. That honor goes to another acronym I'm sure I don't even have to repeat, chronic wasting disease, or CWD. CWD is still a major problem, and as we look forward to the upcoming deer season, it's a great time to, you know, think about how much we appreciate getting out the deer woods, so maybe contact your senators about the Chronic Wasting Disease Research and Management Act. This bill would provide $70 million annually to be spent on CWD research and management. It's by far and away our country's biggest investment to date in limiting the disease's spread, and it's already been passed by the U.S. House. It's currently being considered by the Senate Agricultural Committee, and supporters are asking more senators to become co-sponsors so we can pass it by the end of the year. So, stop what you're doing, pause this podcast, and call your senator ask them to become a co-sponsor of the Chronic Wasting Disease Research and Management Act. Hopefully, before too long, I'll be reporting about an effective CWD vaccine. Thanks to you. Moving on to the fishing desk. 
We'll end today on a positive note. Lake sturgeon are making a comeback in Georgia. The prehistoric fish was wiped out in the Coosa River in the 70s, but researchers with the University of Georgia recently found evidence that female sturgeon are once again reproducing in the river. Historically, the Coosa River Basin was the only place lake sturgeon could be found in the state. They were extirpated due to poor water quality and overharvesting. Both the fish and its eggs were highly sought for food. The reintroduction efforts began around 2002 when the Georgia DNR took sturgeon from Wisconsin and put them in the Coosa system. They felt they would be successful because the Clean Water Act had made the habitat livable and harvest bans would ensure the fish weren't overfished again. But here's the thing about sturgeon. It takes 20 years for the females to reach sexual maturity, so even though the Georgia DNR stocked sturgeon in the river system every year, they weren't sure whether the fish would be healthy enough to reproduce. Now, it looks like they have their answer. A University of Georgia research team led by Professor Marty Hamill recently discovered three females carrying mature eggs ready to be fertilized. Good news for you sturgeon males. It's the first time anybody has found a sexually mature female since the reintroduction program began. Bad news for you females. As Hamill explained, it means the fish are ready to spawn. Now, researchers are trying to catch as many lake sturgeon as they can this summer to get a sense of how many fish there are, how old they are, and where they like to live. This info will be crucial as they continue to build the sturgeon population until, hopefully, it's healthy enough to be fished sustainably. Sturgeon are fish with an exoskeleton, super cool whiskers. They eat a wide variety of things from night crawlers to dead fish prehistoric creatures swimming in our waters that we literally could and will eliminate from the earth if we aren't careful. They taste great, they fight like hell on a rod and reel, and are the largest freshwater fish swimming in the United States. Sounds like something we should take care of, huh? That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to write in to AskCal, that's A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. And don't forget to check out www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you set up with what you need, and they won't send you home with what you don't. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order